when I was uh, younger, um, <clears throat> I don't know if anyone else has had, had this experience, but every now and then I would, uh, my dad would have a bath, and then when he finished, he'd get out and I would use his used bath water. Is that just me? I was had some trepidation telling you that. All of Victorian Britain. All of Victorian Britain. <laughs> 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 and uh, when I was a kid, I really didn't mind at all. You know, I have memories of the water being slightly gloopier than it should have been. <laughs> and <laughs> and grey and so on. But when you're a kid, you don't mind that stuff, do you? Now, you know, like the prospect of getting in the bath after my kids have been in or something, it's like, you know, it's a bit grim really, isn't it? But, um, well, uh, I don't just tell you these things to um, make you feel sorry for me. <laughs> but um, there's, a kind of, there's a mystery in this passage, isn't there? There's, a, there's something weird going on, uh, which John the Baptist says, which is, like, why is Jesus coming to be baptised? Um, he doesn't need to be forgiven of any sin, does he? That's what baptism's about, isn't it? It's about forgiveness of sin, being washed and cleansed. Uh, well, the dirty bath gives us a picture of what's happening here. Um, what's being symbolised here today is Epiphany Sunday, which is the day when we, uh, we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, when we think about his appearing to the nations and all sorts of other things, which we'll come to in a moment. But um, one of the things we, we particularly focus on at Epiphany is the fact that Jesus comes into, when he's baptised, if you like, it's not that he's being cleansed, that he's coming into our dirty bathwater. He is the day when we remember particularly that Jesus takes on our flesh, enters into our situation. Unites, God unites himself to his creation, to mankind, takes upon himself uh, the likeness of sinful man and, and unites himself with us. And so we, that's, that's kind of what it's all about, really, and that's what's happening in this passage. Um, God joins himself to his creation. And in tr- tradition, of, um, Epiphany was a, a day when we also we talk about God's marriage to his creation. So at Epiphany, we also think of uh, the wise men bringing the, their gifts to Jesus. Well, some of the church fathers would talk about those gifts being wedding gifts, um, a gold, frankincense, and myrrh, not just gifts to a child, but gifts uh, for the marriage. We think about the wedding at Cana at this time of year. Um, there's a picture, if you like, of uh, in baptism of the Jewish mikvah, which is the, the ritual bath that uh, people take before they get ma- uh, married, uh, amongst other times. And so there's this kind of marriage imagery as well. And we see that backed up, if you like, this um, Jesus entering into our situation through the picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon him. Did Jesus already have the fullness of the Holy Spirit before this happened? Yes, yes, that's good. He, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Son of God did not have any lack of the Spirit, did he? So what is this descent about? It's showing, if you like, that God's Spirit is now descending upon uh, the humanity of Christ, and therefore not strictly upon Jesus just himself, but actually upon God's creation. The Spirit of God descends upon us in Christ. That's what's being revealed here. So, um, again, traditionally, we might read on this day Psalm uh, 2, verse 7, which, um, where uh, the psalmist writes, God speaking, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, Jesus is the eternally begotten son of the Father. There's no day on which he became the son of God. He is always the son of God, eternally so. But, so what does that passage mean? It's, it's showing that in his humanity, uh, in, in Jesus Christ, humanity and divinity together, we 
enter into that, um, uh, that relationship. We enter into what Jesus has as a son of God. And we, so we get that imagery of the Davik has that, um, uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon us. And of course, the dove hints at uh, other images in Scripture as well. There's a, a dove that goes missing. I've preached on this before, but there's a dove that goes missing in the Bible. Anyone know where that is? Noah's Ark, right? He sends out the dove, and remember, it flies back with the olive branch in its mouth. And he's like, oh, the floodwaters are receding. And then he sends it out again, and it never comes back. Okay. Um, it never comes back. And there's a symbolism here. It's, I'm not literally saying this is the same dove, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a kind of symbolism that uh, as, the flood water, as the flood of God created a new creation, cleansed and able to, if you like, to, to, uh, to carry on God's purposes, Jesus now becomes the focus of that, that new creation. He is the centre the center ground, if you like, from which uh, the, all of God's plans from now on, right until his return, when everything will be renewed, flow out of Jesus Christ as, as the source of that new creation. So it's, it's right, if you like, that that dove that's missing symbolically comes and rests upon him. Does that make sense? And we also have an image of, uh, right back at the beginning of uh, Genesis, uh, right at the beginning, God created, uh, God spoke and created all things. And you have this image of um, God's spirit hovering over the waters, and, and the image is the image is one of um, uh, is captured here. This hovering bird brooding. So there's this picture. It's 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 invoking the idea of creation, of new creation. We are renewed because Christ has come into our dirty bathwater. We are in, enabled to share in what He has because of that. And so God unites Himself in His creation. He enters our dirty bathwater, and and. Uh, he, he gets himself dirty in order to cleanse us. And of course, we have in the baptism of Jesus a kind of foreshadowing of the cross. Jesus later goes on to say, you know, can you be baptized with the, the baptism I'm to be baptized with? And then he's talking there about the cross, which is uh, the fulfillment of this, is entering into our dirty bathwater, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's almost blasphemous to talk about dirty bathwater when you're talking about all the sins of mankind upon Jesus Christ for our sake to cleanse us at the deepest level of Every sin we've ever done wrong, every stain of guilt, everything. There's a foreshadowing here. The voice of God speaking foreshadows the darkness at Calvary. The spirit descending uh, is reflected in the spirit being given up at the cross as Jesus gives up the spirit and becomes a life-giving spirit to the whole world. So this, there's this balanced imagery. So, make sense yeah. with me so far? Good. So what happens to us in, as Jesus comes into our dirty bathwater? What difference does it make to us? The Spirit descending and the voice over the waters show us that by this marriage, we now come into uh, the relation that who God is in himself. We actually begin to share in the life of the Son of God. So all his privileges now begin to be ours. Is a great exchange takes place as he comes into, as God unites himself with us and it takes his sin, our sin upon his shoulders. So we get to share in Jesus Christ's inheritance as the Son of God. We become adopted children or we become the bride to the bridegroom. We enter into God's family somehow. We're welcomed into 
the life of the Trinity. Now, this is going to sound a bit abstract, and we're going to get into some practical stuff, but it is really cool if you can just bear with the kind of the, the, the technical stuff for a minute. The, the, the Trinity is revealed here. Actually, you could say clearly, arguably clearly, for the first time in the whole of Scripture, in Matthew's Gospel, at the baptism of Jesus. Because you have the voice of the Father, you have the Spirit descending, you have the Son of God, all in one place, all interacting. And there's this beautiful window, if you like, into eternity, into who God is. Who is God? He is uh, in himself. Before he created anything, before the world began, in eternity, who is God? He is a Father who says, here is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And he is a Son who obeys the Father. You see, Jesus is obeying. He gets baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So he's a Son who... Seeing the Father's love for him, obeys and returns that love to the Father. And in that, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Spirit comes and descends, dwells between them and fills that relationship of love with his life, his peace, his fullness. You see that? That's what we get to enter into. We get to enter into who God is in himself. Now, I'm kind of, I get excited by ideas. So that's it for me. I'm, I'm done. I'm okay. I can go home right now. But, <laughs> but, you know, I get it that actually, in a way, that's like, we could talk about it. Maybe, maybe you're a little bit excited. Maybe you get some of the beauty of the Trinity right now. But actually, God wants us to know this has practical implications. What does it mean that we enter into the life of the Trinity? That too is revealed in this, in this passage. It's really, really amazing. It means, amongst other things, sharing in God's life, coming into what the Son has, exchanging our dirt for his holiness, means an incredible change in how we see the world around us, in how we experience the world around us, in how we live in the world around us. We know that if you witness, let's say, a loving relationship from outside, it can kind of make you feel a little bit awkward. Have you been a gooseberry in a situation where two people are like gazing into each other's eyes and you're like, ah, <laughs> wish, I, wish I bought a book. <laughs> but if you're the person being gazed at, it's quite a different, you know, that's not an uncomfortable situation to be in, is it? If, uh, or have you ever been there when a child, uh, parents had to discipline a child quite seriously, you know, you're around someone's house, not pointing anyone in particular. <laughs> and they've had, to, they've had to shout at their kids, like properly, usually it's me shouting my kids, to be they really tell them off because they've done something terrible, like turn the volume up on all the speakers just before the service. That's what Nathan did this morning. Um, you, you have to be there when, when someone's disciplined a child. When you're on the outside of that relationship, that's kind of awkward to be around, right? But if you're the parent, it's a loving thing to do. It may be extreme, it may be some volume, there may be some... You know, anger involved, but it's still a loving thing to do. So where we stand in relationship to a, a loving relationship actually changes our perspective. And the same is true. When we view God's holiness, his love from the outside, actually it's, it's kind of, it's overwhelming, it's awe-inspiring, it can be kind of scary too. Now listen to this. This is, um, this is a passage from Isaiah where he foretells this day with the baptism of Jesus. Where a day when God descends, when he speaks, when heaven is opened and his glory is made manifest. It says this, Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. 
that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. I wonder what Isaiah was expecting that day to look like. Boiling water? You know, you get that you... You see, see what he's saying? What is he expecting? It's dramatic, isn't it? It's, it's like Mount Sinai, where the, the God speaks, and there's thunder, and there's fire, and there's lightning, and there's cloud, and the people are so terrified, they can't even speak. They can't even approach God. They can't come close to him, because his, his holiness excludes them. And yet in Jesus, because of Jesus, that holiness becomes love directed towards us. We go from being on the outside of it, feeling, frankly, a little bit more than awkward, scared, judged, condemned by the perfection and the beauty of God to being the object of his affection. Here is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's an amazing transformation, isn't it? Through Jesus, each one of us can experience a transformation in how we see God and through God the world around us. I don't know if this is true today as it was, but certainly a generation or two ago, uh, people would have a, uh, when this country was more Christian, and Western Europe was more Christian, North America was more Christian. There was, a, there was kind of vague Christian conscious, uh, consciousness, you know, a, a moral awareness. And many people would have uh, just a kind of legalistic relationship with God, where it was like, you've got to do the right thing, you've got to do the wrong thing. But what that created, if, they don't, if you don't have a relationship with God, is it kind of creates a fear. It can create a superstition. It can create a sense of judgment. And especially if you begin to reflect on, like, uh, if you begin that gospel journey, you begin to reflect on your own achievements, and you actually start to look at God's commands, and you compare your life to what God actually requires, and you start to realize more and more and more, like, actually, I don't in any way measure up to what God requires of me. And even today, that, that journey that people go on, maybe it doesn't happen as often as it used to because we don't have that background. But often God takes people on that journey and they come to a moment of crisis where they're like, I just cannot measure up. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, what we, that relationship with God is changed. Because God, when we come to faith in him, no longer are we under the judgment of the law because we've done things wrong. No, no longer are we under the sentence of death because of the guilt that we've incurred through the things we've got done wrong. But we come into life in Christ because God forgives our sins. And reassures us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross of his good will towards us. Now that's a, that's a familiar way of explaining it, isn't it? Does that make sense? If you, it's, it's not only that existential crisis that happens when we compare our moral achievements to God's law that changes. And I, th- I think this is, it, it, there's something more as well. It's also the way we see the world around us. And that's, that's what really uniquely comes out of this passage. Many people, many Christians, many of you here this morning, experience the world as, uh, and the events in your life, and you process them, and the people around you do the same thing, as just random events that happen to you. 
just kind of like one thing happens and another and another, and there's no meaning or purpose behind it. Or maybe you, you see it as a kind of like a tug of war between you know good and evil, or God and the devil, or something like that. But what the life of Christ enables us to do is to see that actually through the whole of creation, through everything that exists, everything, and everything that happens, this is that's a really important thing, every situation in our life, God is always, always speaking his message of love to us. That is profoundly, profoundly important. It's also really hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking of like, the, in, one, in the sense of like, the things that we go through, or if you don't find it hard to believe, the world around you might find it hard to believe. You see, we, we know God saves us out of sin. He, he saves us from the consequences of our sins. He gives us his law so that we can live an upright life. He gives us his wisdom. He shows us his love. He, he gives us his strength. He pours his grace into our lives to transform. And so in many senses, we are taken out of the consequences of sin, but we are still in this broken world, in our sinful flesh. We still experience the consequences of the fall. God doesn't take away all those things just because we come, become Christians, does he? No, he doesn't. But what he does do is he changes our ability, changes how we not only see those things, but how we experience the apparently bad things that happen all around us. Not actually, not apparently bad. The bad things that happen to us and to our friends and to people we know and to people in Australia and all all over the world and everything. It gives us the ability to see that differently. At this moment, the descent of the Spirit represents, if you like, the whole of creation becomes the recipient of those words of God. Here is my son in whom I am well pleased. The whole of creation becomes a vehicle to tell us the same message that God tells us on the cross. I love you. And so, uh, writing a long, long time ago, a guy called Gregory of Nazianzus, he's got a really cool name, you have to face it, don't you, said this, he says, at this moment, preaching on this passage, he, he said this, the heavens, like paradise with its flaming sword, closed to Adam for himself and his descendants, are rent open. It's like going back into Eden. Do you see that? It's like paradise is being reopened to us by this transformation of the way we see the world around us. He comes to sanctify the waters, Gregory says. And so this is like, it's like a reversal, a change of how we see all those things in the Old Testament. So the flood of Noah, which brought destruction, and judgment upon the world becomes the flood of God's grace. It becomes the, the flood of, his, of the gospel breaking out of the church and spreading out throughout all the, whole, the whole world. The flood of God's grace flowing through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the lives of Christians, through churches all over the world, into the world, and flooding it, but not to bring destruction, but to bring life. <laughs> This change in how we view the world around us is a huge part of our inheritance as children of God. Can you see that? Do you follow the line of reasoning? Do you see how it comes from the passage? It's a huge part of our inheritance. It's 
a huge part of what Jesus came to give us. It's why he jumps in our dirty bathwater. So that we can experience the world and that in every moment of our lives, we can hear God's voice saying, I love you. It changes everything. It changes our perspective. So how do we enter into that? Anyone like experiencing that like 100% every second of every minute, hour, day? Right now, all good, never a break. <laughs> you're, in, you're in heaven already if you are. I just think, if I'm, I don't know if this is just like something I'm, God's, I, I feel like he speaks to me about this again and again and again. Like I feel like if, if it was preached to me when I was young, I just wasn't listening. God, I think this is just so profoundly important. Such a huge part of our, our, our salvation. You know, it's, 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 it's not about what, it's not just about what happens when we die, is it? It's about encountering God and being his children right now. And living for his glory. Now. Experiencing his presence now. I, just, I think that's awesome. And this is the amazing thing. Whatever our experience of that is, you know, whatever stage of the Christian life we're at, God's firm intention is to bring us somehow by any means possible, through the working of his Holy Spirit, through the, 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 the grace of Christ, through his Father, to bring us to the fullness of that experience. So that one day, it's an absolute fact that every experience you will have will basically be one version of God saying, I love you, and you actually believing it 100% with all, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the journey we're on. I, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. I, I, I'm gutted I'm not there. I, I, I want to cry out to God. I want to be like the psalmist and say, God, my soul thirsts for you. I, I, like Paul, I want to be like, uh, uh, I'd do, do anything to take hold of the love of Christ. I'd leave anything behind. That's such a good prospect. So how do we get there? Well, the first step is faith in Jesus, isn't it? This is not, this is an offer, if you like. This salvation, this amazing journey is available to anyone. But it's not automatically applied to everyone, is it? It requires a step of faith. And actually, I'm just, I'm just going to do a tiny bit of teaching on this, but it's just a, a good opportunity on this Sunday to talk about. Faith is important. Faith in Jesus Christ is the thing that saves you. The, you know, uh, the thief on the cross is crucified next to Jesus. He doesn't have a chance to go to church. He doesn't have a chance to get baptized. He doesn't go to an alpha course. He doesn't get catechized. He doesn't do anything. He just looks upon Jesus. He believes, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Faith is the thing that sets our eternal destiny and brings us into relationship with God, isn't it? But God wants us to be baptized. And in one sense, if anyone questions, why should I get baptized? You could just point to Jesus and say, uh, you can read this passage to them and they say, well, what does that mean? And you'll say, I don't really know. Because Bible commentators read this and go like, let it be so now, it is proper for us to, for, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Like you can read all the commentators and they all disagree about exactly what that means. You can say, I don't know. I'm not sure John the Baptist knew, but Jesus got baptized. <laughs> you should, probably should too. 
But we don't have to leave it there. We can go a little bit further. Um, baptism is, uh, it's, it's like a marriage. You know, that, we shouldn't be ashamed or shy of using that analogy. Like in a, if, if a couple are courting, if they're engaged, that is in one sense, um, there's a deep and profound promise there. There's already a, a closeness there, isn't there? But when you get married, is that merely a formality? Is it like a, we just want to tell the whole world about the relationship we already have? Is that what it is? That's not marriage, is it? It's not just the formalizing of something that's already happened. The, the, when you get married and you make those promises in public and God attends, you know, it's like what God joins together, let no man separate. God comes and joins a man and a woman together as they make those vows, as they come together in his presence. Something real happens that changes. It changes. I and mean, we experience that in lots of different ways. You know, there are certain uh, intimacies, emotional and physical, that we reserve for after marriage because it's proper and appropriate for those things to happen within that covenant relationship. Likewise, as Christians, there are certain intimacies, promises of God, blessings and graces that God reserves for when we are baptized. Put your hand up if you experienced that when you got baptized. We go deeper. <coughs> we come to know him more. So baptism is, is really, really important. And there is something in us because of our culture and all the people around us. And you think of marriage, like so many people around us, like what's the point of a contract? You know, we love each other. We're going to live together. Da, 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 da. You know, that's our culture, isn't it? It's like contracts are formalities and we don't like formality. There's more to it than formality. Baptism is a change. It's when we say to Jesus, yes, yeah, surrender. It's, it's like, I want, yeah, he's proposed, I say yes. That's a bit weird saying that as a guy, but that's, that's it. He, I, I give my life to him. I give my loyalty to him. I bow my knee to him. I swear fealty to him. And it's not just an action I do. Something fundamentally changes. And a new richness comes into my life. So baptism is the gateway into this transformed experience of the world around us. Does that make sense? Now, I know, you know, almost everybody here, or maybe everybody as far as I know, has been baptized. But if you haven't, and some of you younger ones are waiting to get baptized, this is best why. This is what we're talking about. This is with a promise. It's not just a case of like, oh, I get it now. I'm going to get baptized. You know, something will change when you get baptized. It's something to look forward to. If, you, if you're an adult and you haven't been baptized, then that's what you've got to look forward to, this beginning of this journey. And, and like at that moment, when you come into that faith, um, there's this picture, you know, in the Old Testament, the beginning of creation, you've got the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. I already mentioned it. And he's brooding. He's bringing forth life. Out of the chaos and the disorder and the destruction, he's making an ordered world. That's what happens in Genesis. When you get baptized, the Holy Spirit comes and he hovers over you. And out of the chaos and the mess and all the brokenness and the bits and pieces lying around here and there, he brings it all together. And he brings order and life and beauty and goodness. It's really, really amazing. So we enter in through baptism. So what about for us as Christians? How do we, once you're, once you're baptized, how do you go deeper into, into that Christian life? Like I say, God wants to usher us ever deeper into that experience. I, um, I read a, uh, a tweet this week 
Um, I'm not sure if that's a bad habit or not, but anyway. I read a tweet this week, and it, I, I forgot to write it down, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but it said something like this. It said, the key to peace uh, with God is, to try to avoid, is not to try to avoid suffering, but to give glory to God in every circumstance. Say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, I say amen to that. It's good. It's good. However, we can go further than that. You see, that's a picture of kind of like, no matter what happens, I trust God. But actually in this picture of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one place at the Jordan, we actually see a more detailed version of, of that, uh, that confidence in God, of, of what to do when we're, we're faced by challenging circumstances. So the passage shows us, if you like, as I've mentioned already, that in every circumstance, God is speaking love to us. Every circumstance. You think about the circumstances you're in right now. Some of you are feeling super blessed. Some, some really good things are happening. You know, I feel blessed about Gilgal. That's an answer to prayer. A desperate cry, really, to be honest with you. I feel so blessed by that. Some of you have been going through or are going through really, really difficult things. Most of you will probably be somewhere in between. Whatever is going on in your life right now, God is speaking and he's saying, you are my child, I love you. He's good all the time, isn't he? In all things, in all ways, in every circumstance, he's good. He's good. He's good. So what's the, how do we go deeper? Firstly, we listen for the Father's voice. We listen for the Father's voice. That's, you know, we love, well, I, I do, I don't know you guys, but, you know, theologians love to argue about these things like God's sovereignty, is he in charge of those things. Sometimes it could become like an academic exercise. But, you know, the reason why it's important to know that God is in charge of everything is because if you know he's in charge of everything, you know that in every circumstance he's speaking the words, I love you. That that thing that you're going through that feels meaningless is not meaningless. That thing that you're going through that feels totally destructive, you can't imagine any possible good coming from it, God is doing good to you. That's why it's important that God is in charge. That's why it's important that God is in charge. And, and there's this picture, God laid this on my heart as I was preparing this, you know, that if we somehow we could get inside the, uh, the imagination of Isaiah, as he imagined the, the heavens being rent and uh, God coming down and boiling the waters with his holiness. We could somehow capture the, the passion, the power that that Old Testament uh, insight had into who God was. Think of how overawed they, they were when they imagined God's holiness. Think of you know, Isaiah, beginning of Isaiah, and seeing God and the angels covering their faces, crying, holy, holy, holy. Think of the awesomeness of God and how unapproachable he is, how powerful he is. There's a psalm that talks about, again, this time of year we read it, the voice of God over the waters, it shatters the cedars of Lebanon. And everybody in the temple falls down and cries, holy, because they, they can't stand his voice. The power and the passion of God's love, of his holiness, is now directed towards you and me in love. The God of the universe, who controls all things, who is unlimited in power, unlimited in compassion, is directed towards blessing you, transforming you, bringing you into the full knowledge of God. He is absolutely, 
utterly for you. Isn't that amazing? This isn't the king who's in, is for you. It's not the queen who's for you. It's not the prime minister who's for you. It's not Donald Trump or the United States Army for you. God is for you. Faithful and compassionate. Perfect in wisdom and holiness. He's for us. So we listen for this voice in every circumstance. In good, you know, when you get, if you find something good, it's nice, isn't it? You find a, I don't know, a fiver on the floor or something. Take it to the police station. This is a sermon. <laughs> Maybe you feel like, oh, that's nice. But if someone gives you a gift of money, that's a blessing, isn't it? That's different. So when, when good things happen, hearing God's voice and saying, thank you, God, recognizing that it's a gift, transforms our experience of the world. But even in bad things, that's the challenge, isn't it, really? We all need to be reminded to be thankful. But actually, when it comes to bad things, listening to God's voice is really, really important. When we go through illness, you know, go through some kind of suffering, or someone we love suffers, listening and trying to discern and say, God, what are you doing in this situation? What are you saying in this situation? When we're stuck in a, a situation at work, you know, we're stuck in some, uh, you know, something we can't change or there's something about ourselves we can't get over. You know, whatever it is, big or small, listening and saying, God, what are you speaking in this? Is That's part of how we go deeper. Even when God disciplines us, when we go, you know, that seeing that as his fatherly love, it says in the book of Hebrews that we see that as... Um, you know, his love towards us, not like a, a punishment. You know, I even uh, heard of a guy once, he w- I can't be specific, but he went through, a, uh, just out of the blue, a season of incredible temptation, intrusive thoughts, waking up at night thinking about th- this thing. A- and he began to cry out to God, God, you know, where has this come from? I, he hadn't done anything to deserve it. You know, it, w- it wasn't like he, he walked into, you know, involved himself in anything that he shouldn't have done. And then it got worse. He began to be presented with situations where it was almost like that sin was on a plate right in front of him. Again and again, and he, by God's grace, he didn't, he didn't succumb to it, but it was an incredibly challenging time. And some of those situations, it was almost like he was rescued at the last minute, like he was about to give in and something would happen. And he, as he prayed, the thought came to mind of a family member who he hadn't forgiven. It caused destruction in loads of people's lives who'd struggled with the same thing. And God, uh, and, uh, God spoke to him and, and brought to mind that he'd been not just judgmental, but censorious about this guy, completely lacking in compassion. And that it was having this incredible uh, corrosive effect on his own life. <coughs> and God brought healing through that season of temptation. Like Peter, you know, when he's, uh, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat. And God breaks him, doesn't he? And actually, Peter goes further than the guy in my example. He actually fails, doesn't he? Three times he denies the Lord. And yet God uses that. He speaks through that. So in all things, God is blessing us. And it's, you know, it's not even that we have to discern a specific message. It's, they can get a bit twee if you're like, I'm going through this illness or this friend of mine is suffering. What's God saying? And you try and look for specific things. Sometimes you can hear that. 
sometimes as you're going through it, you begin to see God's blessing. But actually, it's just that attitude of trust. Saying, God, I believe you. So we hear God's voice. We listen for God's voice. How else do we go deeper? Not just listening for his voice. We go deeper through <laughs> being obedient. It's responding to his voice. So Jesus gets baptised. Like I say, why? It's not clear in the passage, is it? He does it out of obedience to God. It's necessary to fulfil all righteousness. Basically means because God expects me to do this. That's the, that's the shorthand. So he is obedient. It's what God wants. It's a, and of course, his baptism in the Jordan is just a picture of his greater humiliation. The Son of God takes on human flesh, enters into our sin, right up to the cross. It's a picture of all that. So God is pleased with him because of his incarnation, his willingness to enter into our situation. Likewise for us, when we're obedient to God, when we offer him our obedience, we are way of looking at the world is transformed and we enter deeper into the mystery of God. But what does obedience look like? Obedience is, Jesus sums up for us nice and easy, two things. All the, command, all the commands, all the law and the prophet, hang on these two things. Love, God, you can say it, God, with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. So what does obedience look like? As you hear God's voice or as you're in any situation, it's basically saying, what does love look like in this situation? How do we enter deeper into that mystery of, of seeing God's, uh, experiencing the, the, the life of God in everything? It's not just passively going, I'm sure God is doing good to me. I'll just wait here until it happens. But actually saying, what does love look like in this situation? So when we're blessed, love looks like thankfulness, doesn't it? That's what love does. It says, thank you. Simple. So prayer is to thanks. When, or, and it all overflows in generosity to others. Love to God and love to our neighbours. You know, that's very, very simple. What does love look like in adversity? Well, it looks like all sorts of different things. Philippians 4 says, you know, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, lift up your prayers and requests to God. That's love. Love is crying out to God. You know, love can be not giving up on God. Like Job, you know, Job's wife says, he goes through all that suffering and Job's wife says, just, just curse God and be done with it. He'll strike you down, you'll be dead, no more suffering. And God refuses. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. That, that declaration of confidence in God is incredible. I was, I was talking to this about some, uh, with someone the other day. Uh, there's that amazing um, worship song by Matt Redman, <coughs> Blessed Be Your Name, that was written out of uh, incredible trial, repeated miscarriage. Uh, by Matt Redman and his wife. And in the midst of that trial, they wrote, blessed be your name, you give and take away. But still I will say, blessed be your name. Doesn't that feel triumphant? Doesn't that feel like the words of a son to a father? God, I don't know you, but I'll go with you. Isn't it like uh, Abraham and Isaac? Isaac, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't it feel like that? Isn't there something awesome about that? Just saying, God, I'm not going to give up on you. I know that you're doing good. What is, so how do we go deeper? We don't have time to go into loads of different examples, but it's, it's not just listening for the voice of God, but it's saying, what does love to God look like in this situation? What does loving other people look like in this situation? And God, as we respond as his sons, we experience this transformation of how we 
uh, see the world around us. We begin to live in God. So what's the, th- the third thing, really, is I guess it's something that happens to us more than something that we have to do. But in that exchange of God speaking and us responding in love, the Holy Spirit descends upon us. So do not be anxious about anything, but you know, all things present your request to God. And what happens? The Spirit will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God which passes all understanding. That's the dove descending, isn't it? As God speaks, as we respond with love, as we hear his voice, as we we listen for his message of love, as we respond with love, the Holy Spirit comes and fills that with his life. Fills that with his life. I feel like maybe I'm going off on a theoretical tack here. But you guys know this is true, don't you? From experience, don't you? You've been through stuff that you would not have chosen. And you've responded with faith. And God has blessed you richly, has he not? Tell someone who's not a Christian. (laughs) Tell yourself. Tell God and say thank you. Isn't it amazing? What, What do we need to hear this morning? God wants to do that more and more and more. He wants to do it more and more and more until we are not anxious about anything. Wouldn't that be amazing to not be afraid, you know, about, I don't know, what school our kids go to or, you know, what's going to happen in 10 years? Or what's, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to, to, to not be afraid of any situation coming down because we know, good or bad, God is for us. And that he will, he will, not, he will not only speak to us, he will not only invite a response from us as his, as his children and say, you know, what does love look like in this situation? He'll give us the wisdom to know how to respond. He'll give us the strength to know what love looks like and he will enable us to do it. And he'll pour out his spirit in that situation and we'll know him more and love him more and experience more of his peace and more of his joy. Isn't that wonderful? It changes everything. It changes everything. You see why Gregory said it's like Eden being opened up again. You can see that. You see why we say that the whole of creation is sanctified by Jesus entering the waters. It's not, it's not magic. It's not like he's blessing the water and it somehow becomes like a portable blessing device. It's that he literally changes the way we see all things by bringing us into the life of God. We enter into the mystery of Christ's life. We enter into the baptism of his baptism. All of it. We enter into the mystery of Calvary. Can you imagine facing the prospect of Calvary and listening for the Father's voice? What Jesus went through? What does love look like? Father, take this cup from me, if it be possible. But if not, not my will, yours be done. That's what love looks like, isn't it? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That's what love looks like, doesn't it? Hanging on that cross and not taking yourself down, even when you could call a a legion of angels to your aid, that's what love looks like, doesn't it? Imagine something as terrible as that and knowing the Father's love and being able to, to go through it and offer yourself to the Father and, and, and bless. To see, to, you know, the Bible says Jesus becomes this life-giving spirit. The spirit flows out of him from Calvary. That's what God has for us. Imagine being so unafraid 
you could take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what God wants for us. The worst things become the best. The cross of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of the Son of God, is the worst thing that has ever happened. And it's the best thing that has ever happened. And that's what God has for you. Any bad thing you're going through, God will redeem and bless through it. Everything. Can you think of something now? The worst things become the best. Then the suffering isn't cancelled out. It's not made meaningless. It's not made, you know, unpainful. But God blesses. He reveals his love. We come to know him in it. We enter into the mystery of the suffering of Christ. A banquet in the presence of our enemies. A perfect love that casts out all fear. We experience the glory of the cross. The joy of the triune God.